0: You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Follow your heart and do not let anyone take your dreams from you. You be you. Tell yourself every day, I am enough. Be the change that you wish to be. Live your truth. Bombarded with this sort of advice, day after day, year after year, is it any wonder that Christians have difficulty discerning acceptable and unacceptable behavior? Like the Christians at Corinth, many believers in our land have brought the philosophies and many times the practices of the world into the church, having determined that these activities fall under the category of Christian liberty. Sometimes scripture is ignored and many people begin to say, you know, I, I just cannot find it in my heart to think that God doesn't want my best. He would not keep two people who love each other from being together. What is so wrong about moving in with my boyfriend or girlfriend? These philosophies and practices will be addressed in our text today. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 20. If you were here for the first time, you should know that we're in a series of messages from the book of 1 Corinthians this fall, and, and which will last well into next year. Ricky Lee said a few weeks ago it'll be done by the end of this year, but uh, uh-uh, not. it's not going to be close. It may be well into next year before we get there. But the beautiful thing about going through a book like this is you're forced to preach text you would never preach otherwise. I wouldn't preach this text, and I just need to go ahead and apologize ahead of time to the parents you may be having the talk sooner than you had anticipated but is here and we got to preach it right now if this is your second sunday you might be confused that we were in 1 Corinthians 10 14 through verse chapter 11 verse 1 last week and so you might be confused why we're moving backward the reason that we have skipped around a bit is the nature of the material in today's text the end of chapter 6 and beginning of chapter 7. Since August was our family worship month, it seemed post, best to postpone uh, this topic. Plus, it allowed students to get back, and this is an especially important topic for young adults. Speaking of young adults, there will be a young adults retreat this coming weekend. The speaker for this retreat will be Michael Talley, who is my son in the ministry. Literally, he is my son, and he is in the ministry. In addition to speaking for the retreat, Michael will be preaching here next uh, Sunday morning. And then the following Sunday, October 2nd, will be our missions fair with special guest speaker Roy Lytle, who spent many years in the jungles of Suriname, Uh, Ted and Gail McKinney were there with him for a few, uh, several of those years, three or four of those years. Uh, and so you can imagine just how entertaining this is going to be. But not only entertaining, Roy Lytle is the closest thing I know to the Apostle Paul of our day. When he preaches, you're going to f- hear from the Lord. It's going to be a blessed time together. And just got news a couple of days ago that Dennis and Linda Beck, who did not think they were going to be able to be here, will indeed be able to be here. So a lot of our missionaries coming in, will be excited to meet them on Sunday night. But Roy will be preaching on Sunday morning. So after today, we will take at least a two-week break from 1 Corinthians and get back to it in October. This morning's text deals directly with the Lord's expectations for His children in the arena Of human sexuality. David Pryor said this about our text, quote: First Corinthians 12 through 20 is as constructive a contribution to Christian sexual ethics that we can find inside or outside the New Testament. That's a pretty bold statement, wouldn't you say? And because 1 Corinthians has so much to say about the human body. We might find ourselves back in this text again from a different angle. We'll still be covering the truth of the text, but there's so much more, more than you can say in one setting. This morning, though, we will contemplate God's claims on His children in the realm of sexuality. To help make sense of today's verses, I will remind you that Several, about six weeks ago when we were in the first eight verses of First Corinthians 6, we were reading what Paul had to say about believers taking other believers to court. And verses 9 through 11 sort of form a little bit of a segue between those first eight verses and then on to the end of the chapter. The primary connection is... With sinful grasping behaviors. Do you remember that? We talked about this a couple of months ago. Paul was saying, you should not be grasping for things that don't rightly belong to you. That can never righteously be yours. People were taking others to court. They were abusing, defrauding one another. And Paul said, why don't you just let yourself be defrauded? It's not right. So when you think about it, it makes sense as Paul continues to talk about sinful behavior. And and by the way, instead of stopping at the end of chapter 6, the first two verses of chapter 7 will help us get a better understanding, again, of what Paul is saying in chapter 6, verses 12 through 20. I found it quite interesting that the Lord determined that we would read chapters 8 through 10 before reading Chapter 6, there are several similarities that will give us a better grasp of the text that we uh, are reading this morning. When you see the slogans, the Christian slogans that came from uh, the the church at Corinth that Paul was addressing. All things are lawful. And Paul immediately counters in chapter 10 and now again in chapter 6. Flee from idolatry, he said as we read last week. In chapter 10, verse 14, flee from sexual immorality, we see this morning. And there are more connections as well. One last thing that will help us make sense of this text before we read it uh, is the the importance of certain philosophical views of the day that were very prominent in Corinth, uh, all over Greece, all over the Roman Empire, but... Especially prominent in Athens and Corinth. Plato's dualistic view of the world divided the world into two realities the, the material reality, our flesh and blood, and the immaterial reality, the spiritual, the, 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 the part, the, the realm that you cannot see. And the thought was that this body is a prison and we need to, to escape it. Now, this went into full-blown a philosophy called Gnosticism that had Christian connections about 150 years after this time. And if we come back to this text, which I'm I'm sure we will in, in October, I'll talk a little bit about that. Gnosticism not only threatened the church, and we know that gates of hell will not prevail against the church, but Gnosticism threatened Western civilization because of the ways that people thought about these bodies. But God has a very different view of the body. We are to have a very different view of the body because of the dignity and the importance that the Lord has built into our bodies. So, one view was, all things are lawful. So what's the big deal about what you do with your body? You can do anything you want to. The other view was, no, Absolutely not <clears throat> um, the body itself is sinful, and sex is especially dirty, therefore it's good for a man not even to touch a woman or to have relations with a woman. Both views enjoyed wide currency in the church, not only in the in the community but in the church. People thought this way. you'll see uh, both these uh, both of these philosophies stated and then refuted by the Apostle Paul. God's design for human sexuality is so much better than anything that the world could conceive. Pun not initially intended anyway. And although there is much that appears negative in this this text, it points to the beauty of God's design for marriage, which we will see clearly in chapter 7. So... God's design for marriage is beautiful. And by the way, we'll also see in chapter 7 when we get to it that God's design for singleness is beautiful, even if it doesn't bring with it or include the blessing of physical intimacy. Today's text is 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 20, but the reading will include those first two verses of chapter 7. I will read a small portion of the text and then we'll work our way through the text. For now, 1 Corinthians six eighteen through 20. If you would please stand for the reading of God's word. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. All right. Thank you. Be seated. In the first part of 1 Corinthians 6, Paul chastised chastised believers for seeking to extort other believers by means of civil lawsuits. It would be better for you to take the loss, Paul said in verse 7. But, verse 8, you defraud your own brothers. Now he's going to talk about defrauding people in another way, taking something that is not rightly And rightfully theirs. A grasping sin. Seeking to sinfully gain what does not belong to you. You can see the dots connecting in Paul's mind. As he writes in verses 7. Or excuse me 9 through 11. Or do you not know. That the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral Of our God. Now we need to clarify right up front that the righteous ones who will inherit the kingdom of God are not the self righteous who just look good on the outside, but they've never been changed on the inside. Uh, God calls righteous those who humble themselves and acknowledge their sins before the Lord and call out to the one who died in their place to save them. So righteousness is imputed to us or declared by God to be ours based on our repentance of sins and faith to God or faith in Jesus Christ. The cross, remember, is a central theme of 1 Corinthians. The ones who practice the sins listed in verses 9 to 10 in Paul's warning are those who habitually practice these sins and we get a sense as we go in the text that they habitually practice these sins and say hey don't be talking to me I'm free in Christ it's not that they're wrestling with these sins and they're struggling with these sins but they've just given themselves over to it they found a way to make what's going on in the world right in the church Also, there's a sense in this text where Paul said, look, these are sins you used to commit, but Christians do not live this way. You're Christians, so quit living this way. Is this a legitimate warning for Christians to straighten up or to lose their salvation? No, but it is a legitimate warning. That says if you live like this and you don't care anything about it. Then you better check up and see if you really belong to the Lord. Because believers just cannot live this way and think this way. Long term. We'll talk about that tension in the scripture of eternal security or in the uh, home group's that is in the scripture about eternal security on one side and warnings. Don't you continue to do this or you put yourself at risk. Really, you're already at risk and you need to check to see where you are. Verse 11 reminds us that salvation is of the Lord. We were washed or cleansed from our sins. There's very likely some baptismal implication here. We were sanctified or set apart for God's use. And we were justified. We did none of this ourselves. What some of the Corinthians were doing though was justifying and participating in behaviors that were unacceptable for believers even if these same behaviors were widely accepted in society. The list in verses 9 and 10, was given to warn believers to stop deceiving themselves about the morality of their behavior, something they were quite skilled in doing. They could justify almost anything. Even worse, they were making flimsy theological arguments derived from philosophical beliefs and cultural norms. Look, I'm not going to reference all the behaviors listed in our text, but let me say something about this, and other list in the New Testament. These lists were not given for us to form judgments about other people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yep, that one's got, okay, okay, yeah, you're on the list, you, you've got this list. If, if you delight in judging other people for what they're doing and saying, well, clearly they're not a Christian, here's a list. You're going to keep going down that list and find yourself on it one, one day. I mean, Galatians 5, one of those lists is, talks about fits of anger. Anybody ever had that, a fit of anger? So the point is, evaluate yourselves. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. This list begins with sexual immorality, which is translated from the Greek word porneia. And while this is indeed where we get our English word pornography, that's not the point here. Here in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, it refers to a specific act, sexual act with anyone to whom you are not married. Idolaters we have already covered because of the path that we have followed through 1 Corinthians. If you've not already noticed as you have read through the scripture, the tethering of food and idol worship is often associated with illicit sex. The list goes on as Paul identifies adulterers as those who will not inherit the kingdom of God. Another one that he mentions later is revilers, not revelers, but revilers or those who verbally abuse other people. So I wonder if you do that, even if it's just on Facebook. You revile other people. I'd be surprised if you do, considering the political climate of our day, but you might, you know, so just be careful. And how you say? Perhaps the behavior in this list of most interest in our day is men who practice homosexuality. Because of the number of pagan temples in Corinth, temple prostitutes were readily available in a society where men viewed wives as those who should produce and raise children and possibly provide some sort of financial connection or political connection. But Sexual needs were often fulfilled by prostitutes in both heterosexual and homosexual encounters. Now look, you want to say, you just don't realize how difficult it is in our day. You don't know, this day was worse. It was way worse. It was accepted practice. So that's that's what happens. Some scholars claim that the Greek language lends itself to an understanding that God condemns unfaithfulness, but not necessarily the practice of homosexuality. Let me just say that this Greek is very specific and includes both the prostitute and the one paying for the service. Many of the of the temple banquets that Paul condemned so roundly in in chapter ten would end with the prostitute with prostitutes who were visiting from other cities, imagine it, put on display and made available for the patrons of the temple. And it was perfectly acceptable in the country, in the nation, and in the land. And that's the kind of, of activities that went on when your rich neighbor said, hey, we're going to have, there's a great meal down here, and you can leave before the shenanigans start. But Paul's like, what are, you th- what are you thinking? Having anything To do with this. Paul's point. It most certainly is not acceptable for followers of Jesus Christ. Nor are any of the activities listed in verse 10. You, verse 11, used to live like this. Stop living like it. You were baptized, signifying the washing away of your sins. You were sanctified, set apart for God's use and not for sinful activities, but as a testimony of God's grace. And you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God, by whom you live as one who seeks to please The Lord. And that's beautiful. Paul always does this. The writer of Hebrews does this. You're in there with this really tough stuff. And then he just comes with a verse like 11. Expressing confidence. I know. Look. Let's get this straightened in our minds. And then you can move on past it. And then the scratch record. Verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. Remember the quotation marks? These were sayings that found prominence in the church in that day, found a place in the church people would say, Hey, all things are lawful for me. Basically what they're saying is, uh, uh, that's how really sweet what you said there in verse 11, Paulie. But we got what you call theological justification for our actions. And Paul addresses it. He says, you say all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God will raised the Lord and will also raise us up by His power. So I have freedom in Christ and I can do what I want. All things are lawful for me. (laughs) Yeah, Paul said, but not all things are helpful. And besides that, not all things will dominate me. Sex has its place. But if it's out of place, it's Harming me and others. Verse thirteen, without context, can be a true head scratcher, but a little explanation will hopefully uh, help your understanding of this verse. Because of the dualistic philosophy of the days where Christians mix philosophy along beside alongside biblical truth, And they ended up saying something like, we know that this body is nothing, so what is the big deal about the body? Look, the stomach reminds us there are appetites that we have for food, the stomach reminds us that we're hungry and we eat, and then we have sexual appetites and surely God wants those to be met. And most likely the phrase, God will destroy both one and the other, was the end of that argument for those seeking to justify their immoral behavior. The body is going to be destroyed, so what's the big deal? You make it such a big deal about this. It's really the spirit that counts in a relationship with God. And Paul counters by saying, I beg your pardon, the body has a purpose, and I will begin by telling you what the purpose is not. This body was not made for sexual immorality. In fact, the body was made for the Lord and the Lord for the body. The rest of the text will bring meaning to this point, but verse 14 sets the stage by saying that our bodies not only will not be destroyed, but will one day be raised just as Jesus was raised. And so, when we likely find ourselves back in this text in October, we'll explore a theology of the human body with the incarnation being God's ultimate expression and affirmation of His creation of humans. But what we do with these bodies... matters for the moment we know that paul was saying that our bodies belong to the lord verses 15 to 17 do you not know that your bodies are members of christ shall i take them the members of christ and make them members of a prostitute never meganoite is the greek we learned that early in Greek class. And when the professor would say. We're going to have a quiz. We would say. "Meganoite, May it never be. God forbid. No please don't. We're not going to do that. Paul is saying. Never. Should the members of Christ. Be made. Members. Of a prostitute. A lot going on. In that text as you can imagine or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one with her you remember you eat at a pagan table you become one with the demon now you have relations with a prostitute you become one with the prostitute and it's not just you If christ lives in you it's a big deal It's way more than that going on. For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Sex with multiple partners was socially acceptable in uh, 1st century Corinth. But if there was any doubt for God's standard For believers, Paul states that such practices are as unacceptable as participation in a ceremonial meal in a pagan temple is. Why? For the same reason. You join yourself to the demon, you join yourself to a prostitute. Paul used this term because of of temple practices, but the same is true for any physical relationship outside of the covenant of a marriage relationship. And somehow, over the centuries, people have gotten their gotten the idea that a prostitute is a horrible person, and the people who abuse or take advantage of this prostitute are not. It, one is as bad as the other. Always the case that when we participate in this activity outside of a marriage relationship, it's wrong. In fact, this is the biblical rationale that prohibits this one flesh, prohibits all sexual relations with anyone outside of marriage. I often say in a wedding ceremony that God's design for husband and to become husband and wife as one flesh has to mean more than a physical union. There's far more going on. Then In physical intimacy, there's a melding of the souls. There is this sort of a, 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 ways, a, a melding of the souls and personalities. We begin to think like one another. And if you live long enough, you start to look like one another. I'm sorry, ladies. But it's the truth. You just do. So you want to take this Christ. It lives in and through you. These arms are Christ's arms. You want to join yourself? You want to join Christ? With a prostitute? In marriage, God's design is that we are bound together at the deepest levels of our soul. And God's design for righteous physical intimacy is a beautiful expression of this union but scripture is unambiguous that it's the only place where these needs and desires can be righteously fulfilled in a marriage relationship between a man and a woman between a husband and a wife no matter what the culture says nor how well they articulate no matter how well they articulate their position it's why paul will say in verse 18 Flee from sexual immorality. Run and do not look back. It's the heart of it all in these verses, is it not? Verses 18 to 20. Your body is not your own. So live your truth is not only bad advice for Christians. It is demonic advice. Designed to drive you away from God. You were bought with a price. The blood of Christ secured your redemption. The Holy Spirit who was given to you by God and who indwells you and who is God is sacred. You do not belong to yourself. Your responsibility is to glorify God with all your heart. Is that what it says? No, you are to glorify God with your body. There are multiple sins that we commit against our bodies. Alcoholism, alcoholism being only one example. And, and I'm too afraid to mention all the others because somebody will say, that's so cruel, did you, don't you know somebody's struggling with that? Paul didn't have that. So just, just pretend Paul is preaching this. And whatever it is, the way you're harming your body, Paul's talking about it. But what does he mean in verse 18? That sexual sins are unlike any others because they directly affect the body. Well, first, Paul is countering the notion that what we do with our body is no big deal. It is a big deal. Also, God is telling us that a sexual relationship completely changes the people in that union. That's what one flesh is all about. That led some in Paul's day and in ours to suggest that rather than living free from restrictions, wouldn't it just be better to follow a Stoic philosophy and severely restrict any and almost all activities that bring pleasure, such as food, entertainment, sex, etc. Paul addressed this philosophy in 1 Corinthians 7, 1 and 2. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, quotation marks, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. So notice again the quotation marks. And immediately after stating the philosophy, Paul countered this notion and said, no, intimate relations are part of God's plan. Marriage is a gracious gift to help us with the temptations of the flesh there is much more to Paul's argument that we're going to explore in October but once again for now know that either its extreme whether it be libertine or legalistic is unbiblical God's plan for his children is far superior to the world's attempts to find fulfillment through unrighteous intimate relations and there ends a feeble attempt at explaining the text. I thought um I had thought to prepare our hearts for this text by suggesting three reasons for the beliefs that we hold and the practices that we allow uh, in the arena of human sexuality. But then I decided not to include them, and then I decided to put them here at the end of the sermon. And by the way, if you think Well, man, why don't you let the Holy Spirit lead you? When we get to Romans 7, Paul's all over the place with this kind of language. I think I have the Spirit of God. And we'll talk about that. What inspiration, how God led men to write the Word of God. Again, so many things we get to address in 1 Corinthians that we wouldn't otherwise in the ways that we do so want to first talk about this. Our beliefs and practices in the arena of human sexuality will be affected by, first of all, our understanding of God's nature. Who is God? Do these bodies that we have indicate that He has made us in His image or somehow... Do we need to work it so that we make him in our image? Is our God open to change? And does he shift his views according to cultural sensibilities? Or is his moral code etched, as it were, in stone? Does God restrict our pleasure because he is harsh and lacks a sense of humor and adventure? Or are his standards established? For our good. Our answers to these questions will determine our views and practices. As will our belief about God's created order. Male and female. One flesh. The dignity and integrity of the human body as God made it. Because of the Greek language in this text which identifies a homosexual relationship in a pagan temple prostitution scheme. Some point to this type of behavior condemned in 1 Corinthians 6. as not definitive of God's views on homosexuality. And we might have that debate if Romans 1 were not so clear even in these New Testament times. Remember, God prohibits all sexual relations outside of husband and wife. And 1 Corinthians 7 has plenty to say about that. So hold out for October or go home and read it this afternoon. I would encourage you to read 6 and 7. In fact, I think it would be a great idea in these next two, at least two weeks, maybe three, that we're away from 1 Corinthians, that you read through the entire book again. If If you're able to do that, that would be... Awesome. So last, our beliefs and practices are affected by our conviction about judgment when God's kingdom comes in full or when Jesus returns. Do you believe that Jesus will return to earth? Do you believe that you will give an account for your life? For those who habitually sin in the sexual realm and could care less about repentance but just justify it, the the outlook is not good. There's no indication that you belong to the Lord and the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. But I know some of you are prone to doubt. And this is a really difficult area, isn't it? It's for all of us. I might stand up here and say, here's the way it goes. Look, we all have temptations in this area. And temptations for men look very different than temptations for women oftentimes. But it's a struggle for all of us. So do not misunderstand the unrighteous will not inherit the earth as being, oh no, I messed up again and again this week. I've been tempted. Temptation is different from the sin. Don't confuse the two. How it... Works, I don't know. Surely, if we give in to temptation, if we take it to the next level and the next level, even stopping short of having these intimate relations with someone else somewhere along the line, it's sin. But just because you struggle, don't be discouraged. God's grace and forgiveness is given to you. And if you have a strong drive... Or if you have tendencies that are against God's created order. That does not disqualify you from living a life that is pleasing to the Lord. But remember, flee sexual immorality. Run from it. Should you fall, repent of your sins and receive God's loving and gracious forgiveness in Christ. And as you turn to follow him, remember that there is coming a day when you will give an account. I don't necessarily like to end a sermon like this, but Jesus ended many a sermon like this. And Paul's warning is clear. But so is the beautiful truth that you've been washed, you've been sanctified you have been justified in the name of our lord jesus christ and by the spirit of our god your body is a holy is a temple of the holy spirit it's meant to be a holy vessel you're not your own why Because you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. In other words, live according to your identity in Christ. Let's pray. Father... um, We have all kinds of mixed views, mixed thoughts, mixed emotions about the topic we have covered today. And even though it is in a complex argument, complex for us because we didn't live in the time, we didn't know the circumstances, but as others help us to know what was going on in that day and why the Apostle Paul said some of the things that he did, it becomes clear. What your design is for us, what your desire is for us, and we battle mightily. If we love you with all our hearts, uh, because our hearts are also at the same time drawn away, and this world does not make it easy to have pure relationships with you. And it's never simply about the acts, it's about the heart. But Lord, what you are condemning here is the, is the acts. And so help us, Lord. Help us to love you enough that we remember we were bought with a price and we have a great responsibility that the body, we are the body of Christ as a church, but we are individual members of the body of Christ, but the meaning is even much deeper here. It's like Christ lives in me and whatever I do affects him. So Lord, uh, May we live by the power of the Holy Spirit according to your great plan. You know how difficult it is for us. But may Jesus' life and light shine through us. May we be vessels fit for your use, cleansed by you and directed to live holy and righteous lives in a dissolute, World. It's in the name of our Savior we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.